showtime. Any question, this is the greatest night and highest achievement any songwriter could wish for. It's truly a, an honor to join my songwriting heroes, uh, a lot of them being good friends and colleagues over the years. We all have our journey and what it took to get here, and mine, um, I suppose, was a bit odd. Um, I was that kid that musicalized in my head with an imaginary orchestra. Every drama, every experience from striking out as a little leaguer, which I did quite often, to a snowball fight with friends, to the anticipation of asking a girl out. You don't want to hear that music. Um, Welcome everyone to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week is a Hall of Fame songwriter He's written over 20 top 10 hits for pop and country artists all around the world. From Barbara Streisand to Whitney Houston, Garth Brooks, George Strait, the list goes on and on. His book, I Wrote That One Too, chronicles four decades in the music industry. And he's here tonight to share his story with us. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, the man behind the music, Steve Dorff. Steve, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's definitely a, a pleasure, Steve. And, you know, it's when we started preparing for this interview, which we were so glad to be able to have you here, Rosie and I at one point said, oh, my gosh, where do we begin? What an incredible career. So I thought maybe what, what, make it, what might make it easy is if we kind of start at the beginning. So could you just share with us and our viewers what it was that got you into the music business and, and what it was like when you wrote that very first song. Wow. Um, that, that, that's kind of a long story. Um, <laughs> my mother tells me that I, I came, uh, I, I hit the crib singing. So um, uh, I, I think, um, well, I know that mu music was always in my head, um, I would uh, I'd, I would bang my head in in uh, to a rhythm that was going on or melodies that were going on in my head, um, and and my parents I think thought I was having uh, epileptic. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I I was a kind of a strange kid. I had this uh, imaginary orchestra in my head, and whatever. I was doing, uh, whether it was having a snowball fight with friends or um, watching uh, someone round the bases after hitting a home run in a little league game, I would be musicalizing it and uh, just assuming that everybody did that. Because I would ask my mother, I'd say, how did you hear that? And she'd look at me like I was crazy. So I, um, it, it eventually, uh, I started writing melodies on the piano when I was very young. 
four, five, six years old, I'd crawl up on the piano bench and, and start uh, playing things that I was hearing. And, uh, uh, and then eventually started writing songs when I was a teenager, because when the Beatles hit, I wanted to be in a band. And uh, so I started writing songs for my band. And uh, I got a couple of friends together and we started a little band and I started writing the songs. They were terrible songs. And, <laughs> but that was, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Well, so many questions are coming to mind as you're talking about that. So even as a young man and a young boy, you had these melodies in your head. Was there anything that would trigger the inspiration or it was just life around you? Life around me, uh, whether I remember distinctly getting into my mother's car, sitting in the back seat, uh, it was raining, the windshield wipers were, I must have been five or six years old, windshield wipers going, and all of a sudden I start hearing this sym symphony going on in my head, you know, to the windshield wipers. Um, if I was walking to school and the leaves were blowing and noises, street noises, those would become a piece of music to me. So, uh, so I was really underscoring musically everything that was always around me. Well, I want to be a little more specific now with this question, because I, first of all, that's fascinating to me. Uh, because that is a, a very specialized talent that you're talking about to underscore things like that. When you wrote a hit song, like say, for instance, through the years, I can remember at my sister's wedding, my brother-in-law and his mother dancing to that song. It's incredible song. I mean, thank you for all the music you've given us, first of all. But when you have a song like that, what, what, how did that come to you? <laughs> You know, all these, song, all these songs um, have great stories behind them. And that's the truth. It, um, they're, they're like children. They all have their own little lives and they all have their own little journeys uh, to becoming either successful or never being heard. Um, I liken uh, a songwriter's catalog to an iceberg. Um, when you see an iceberg, you only, you're only seeing 15% of it above water. Nobody gets to see the other 85%. And that's true of my song music catalog. Um, if, if I get 15 or 20% of what I've written recorded and out there uh, commercially, that's, that's like batting 400 or 500 in, 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 for a baseball player. It's... Uh, it's pretty hard to do. And um, Through the Years was a song that um, has a great story behind it. I actually uh, wrote that song in 12 minutes. And, um, and the reason I know it was 12 minutes is because I, um, uh, when Marty Panzer came over and handed me the lyric, because he had the lyric all finished, and he took it out of a brown envelope and handed it to me, as Marty and I did, he would write the lyric first. Um, and as I was reading it, I was hearing the tune. And I yelled into my wife at the time, she's not my wife anymore, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, how long before dinner? Because we had invited Marty over for dinner. And she said, oh, about 15 minutes. 
So I grabbed Marty and we went in the back room and I sat at the piano and we wrote the song in 12 minutes. Wow. You know what's interesting, Steve? I, one of the questions that I was thinking of asking you was, what is the fastest time in which you've ever written a song? Is, is that it through the years? No. No, I, I think I wrote the theme to Growing Pains in about five minutes. <laughs> Perfectly honest. I never let the producers know that. I told them I lived over that all night long. But um, well, we'll keep this just between us. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter anymore because that shows off the air. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I never thought that you know uh, that's another great story. I mean, I went to see the pilot of this TV show called Growing Pains, and I thought it was the worst twenty-two minutes of TV I'd ever seen, and I actually called my agent on the way home from watching it and said, can you kind of get me off this? They want me to write a song and it, it's never going to go. And, you know, and, and uh, she said, no, just, just do something, just throw something together. And chances are the show, you know, the pilot will never be picked up anyway. So I went home and knocked this thing out. Uh, I was actually going to start writing something that I was really, that I had started that I really wanted to finish that also never turned into anything. And before I started that, uh, John Bettis, my lyricist was over at the house and I said, Hey, can you write a quick lyric to this 30 second theme song? I've got to write, let's get it out of the way so I can be done with it. And, uh, um, and we wrote it in about, I don't know, five minutes, six minutes. Did you give him the whole synopsis of the show? I gave him a, like a 25 word or less thing. It's a family. It's, uh, you know, kids are crazy. The dad's a psychologist. It's Alan Thicke and it's <laughs> typical sitcom and it's pretty mindless. And and John looked at me and, he, and I said, he said, what's the title? I said, Growing Pains. He said, that's an awful title for a song. He said, how about as long as we got each other? And I said, oh, I love that. And he just started writing down a lyric and he put it in front of me and boom, done. And it went like this. Show me that smile again. Don't waste another minute on your crying. We're nowhere near the end. The best is ready to begin. Wow. Well, I'm going to jump ahead to a question because you kind of just were touched upon it. Have there been many songs that say you weren't sure were going to be a hit or maybe you were sure they were going to be a hit and you ended up being surprised either way? Several times, several times, both ways. Songs I thought were surefire hits that just never found their time or never found the right artist. And songs that to me were throwaways that I was kind of asked to write for a specific thing that I thought, uh, well, doesn't matter. This will never see the light of day and becomes, you know, this monster hit that I'm almost embarrassed to say I wrote. So, um, yeah, so it's happened both ways. One thing that's also happened, Steve, is you've sustained excellence in this business for a long time. And see if I get the math right. You've You've charted songs in five decades. You've had number one hits in four decades, four separate decades. Right. What do you attribute that longevity to? How have you been able to keep those creative juices flowing and those windshield wipers and leaves blowing and all that stuff all these years? 
Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I wish I had the answer. Um, I'm very passionate about what I do. I love what I do. I wake up, I sleep, eat, and breathe it. And uh, I love this business, and I, I love the creative process more than more than anything. And I love being in the studio with great musicians. And uh, and my favorite thing is to, because once you've heard me sing, you'll realize why you never heard me on the radio. Um, and and so for me, it was all about getting the great voices to to want to sing my material. And I've been extremely blessed. I've been very lucky and um, that uh, some of these amazing artists have, have wanted to sing my songs. Well, have you, have you ever had a song where when you're in the middle of composing it, a particular artist jumped out to you as, oh, this would be the perfect song for this particular person? Occasionally, but not often. I, I, um, I tend to just write the song. I don't think about who's going to do it because invariably whoever I would choose isn't going to be the one that does it. I've been, you know, Kenny Rogers was not the first choice for through the years. Um, two was? Harry Manilow and Glenn Campbell both passed on it. Lionel Richie was the one who really found that song and was instrumental in getting Kenny to record it. So you never know. You, know, you never know who's going to do them. A uh, uh, song, I Cross My Heart, which, which ultimately was a big hit for George Strait out of the movie Pure Country, was eight years before George did it, uh, Bette Midler recorded it. And uh, so you just never, you never know. You know, I Just Fall in Love Again was originally recorded by the Carpenters. And uh, they didn't put it out as a single. And Dusty Springfield, who I idolized, recorded it. Same song. She didn't put it out as a single. And then Ann Murray recorded it and had the big hit with it. So yeah, that, was, that was number one for an entire year, I think, on the country charts, wasn't it? It was like, well, that, uh, that was a huge hit. It was, that was a biggie. That was a yeah. Biggie. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, Steve, I, I remember watching the movie Pure Country and that song, I don't remember a whole lot about it. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but that song has stuck in my head oh. you know, ever since. It was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, Is why? there an artist that you wish would record one of your songs who hasn't? And I'm sure that's a very small pool because you've had oh. the best of the best. I, I have a lot of those, a lot of artists that I, I still, you know, and, and every year there's a new voice and, 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 you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to, uh, uh, I love Josh Groban. I would love wow. to work with Josh. Um, I'd love Elvis to cut one, but that, that won't happen. Um, <laughs> you know, there, but there are some new artists that are, that are great, especially in the country uh, country market, Dan and Shay. Um, I haven't, uh, Keith Urban. I'd love to love to have something with Keith. I, I admire him a lot. So yeah, there are always, always great artists out there that, uh, but I've, I've, I've been very lucky and have had the best of the best do my songs over the years. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty satisfied. Yeah, and, and one thing I'll say but before we go on, because I, I think Rosie might have a question for you coming up next about something else you've written that's not a song. 
But I just wanted to take a moment, Steve, and say that anyone who visits your website and clicks on dis discography and you just scroll and scroll and scroll and you'll have carpal tunnel by the time you're done scrolling through all those hits and all those artists. It was just absolutely amazing. Like I said before, the, to sustain that for so long and to still be doing it, um, just, just kudos to you for doing it. And I'm sure that there'll be a lot more artists to come that are going to add to that list. I hope so. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I liken it to, uh, you know, it's really the only thing I know how to do. Uh, uh, both my ex-wives said I couldn't hang a painting on the wall straight. So um, it's pretty, I, I stick to what I'm good at. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing because when you do what you're good at, it, it generally is prosperous and you can pay someone to hang the picture on the wall. So, uh, <laughs> so let's move on to uh, something else, as Bill said, that you've written that happens to not be a song. What inspires you to write your book? Talk to us about that. And was it different than following the inspiration of songwriting? Totally different. Um, I never aspired to write a book, first of all, because A, I didn't think my life was that interesting that people would want to read about it um, because I'm not that face of my music. You know, the, the artists that recorded the songs and made them hits, they're the face of the songs. Um, but I was doing a uh, performance because I, I have been doing these evenings with Steve Dorff, where I sit at the piano and I tell the stories, and which are had, fun, uh, and all the audiences love to hear and, those behind-the-scenes stories. And then I sing the song. The and um, so after one of the shows, I think I was in Danbury, so, Connecticut, and um, this woman came over to me afterwards, and uh, uh, I was shaking hands and saying hi to the people and thanking them for coming. And um, she came over to me and she uh, and she leaned in and whispered, you know, you uh, you really don't sing worth a damn, but uh, I love your story and uh, you should write a book. And uh, I said, well, I, I don't really know how to how to take that. And she said, well, if I get you a book deal, will you write the book? And it turns out she was a literary agent. And three or four months later, she emailed me and said, uh, I got you a book deal. You better start writing. And, um, and so that was the, the beginning. And then over that course of a year, I started to uh, every night would sit down for two or three hours and recall some of the fun stories and just write them out. And, uh, and then they became chapters and then it evolved into a, a book, which I happen to have right here. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, it's got all the stories and um, all the fun stuff, what, uh, what these artists were all thinking and doing and um, some, some fun times and then some not so fun times and uh um, but it's it's really a nod to uh, all the great talent that that I've uh, gotten to work with, both in the studio and out of the studio. So, well, Bill, can you guess what your birthday present's going to be? <laughs> <laughs> and it's available yeah. on my website, stevedorf.com. Excellent. 
I was going to say, I was getting ready to ask that question, but I had to figure out there what my, well, you know what? That, I'm looking forward to that present, actually. That, I, I that'll be a good one. And, and I guarantee you, I'll read it. So thank you, Steve, and thank you, Rosie, in advance. <laughs> from my website, I will personally sign it. It, it, otherwise it's available on Amazon and the audio version is available on Amazon. Well, that sounds like fun. I, I, I want I mean, the sign version there, partner. Just yeah, so. Okay. You know. Okay. You got it. You got it. No problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I really agree with you that, and we've said this now on a, a number of, of shows that people love to be a part of like kind of the behind the scenes thing and it's fun because, you know, we only get to see when people come out on stage or, or when with the finished product, it's fun to be a part of the process. Well, yeah. And, and the other thing is most, most listeners, they'll hear a song on the radio. By the time they hear it on the radio, it's already an established or on its way to being an established hit by an established artist. There's no concept of how long it took from the time that song left my piano to it hearing on the radio. I mean, it's years. I mean, uh, it takes years. It took uh, six years for I Just Fall In Love Again to be a hit. It just took probably three or four years for Through the Years to become a hit. Uh, eight years for uh, I Cross My Heart. I played that song for everyone and my mother. And uh, everybody kind of went, eh, not one of your best. Um, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. How supportive was your mother and your family with your songwriting? Because lots of times, you know, like say the prophet is not welcomed in his own town so much. You know, everyone else thinks they're great. And then at home, it's like, yeah, you know. What was that like for you? No, my mom, uh, my mom was... Uh, uh, loved everything I did. Everything. Uh, I was a mom's boy, and uh, um, uh, my dad, uh, who had left, not so much. He wanted me to, you know, get a real job, the typical, you know, you know, music's music's a great hobby. Everybody loves music, but you can't make a living at it. So, uh, yeah, I, you know. They were, they were supportive. Um, they didn't live long enough to see me get inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which, which is kind of a, kind of a shame. And, and in my speech, um, and, my, and my sister passed away uh, um, a couple months before I was inducted. And, and so they, they never really got to see the, that's the pinnacle, you know, that's the, that's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for a songwriter is the Hall of Fame. What was it like writing that speech compared to writing a song? I mean, what was that experience like and how did it feel to receive that kind of recognition after all you had done up to that point? And did you expect it or, or were you surprised? Uh, well, I knew I was being inducted and I'd been given the time to, to write an acceptance speech and I knew how it was gonna go down. I knew what the, the segment was. There were six of us being inducted and um, that night and uh, uh, they had told us how, what the segments were. And, um, and so I, I knew what was gonna go down. I was not ready for the emotional uh, 
it was uh, it was cataclysmic. I mean, it was uh, it was the it was the greatest night of my life. Greatest night of my life. One of tonight's honorees. I'd like to introduce you to an incredible songwriter with a huge heart and one hell of a dad. A 2018 inductee to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, my father, Steve Dorff. And I'd especially like to thank and acknowledge the people who are no longer here to be with me tonight. But are um, very much here in my heart every day. And they would be real proud of this evening. My mom, my dad, my sister, Sherry, Nancy, the mother of my two wonderful sons, and most of all, my son, Andrew, who told me so very often that I was his, I was his favorite songwriter. And that uh, one day I would be standing here accepting this highest honor. Well, congratulations on that. And we're sure glad that you didn't listen to your father on music being a hobby and that you really followed your heart. And I think that's probably why you've had the longevity that you've had, because you seem to be someone who, when you get an inspiration and an inclination, you act on it. Yeah. And that's really important that you're not so much attached to the results, but you're, you're really, you know, you're kind of about just the creative process. And Steve, I'll add one thing to that. I, I think that for a lot of people that we've met, not just on the show, but people we've met over the years who are in one form or another of the entertainment business, and you usually early on get that lecture about getting a real job or whatever the case may be. And <laughs> I came up with a, a saying for those folks that don't support us that want to venture into the creative arts. And that is do it because of them, if you can, in spite of them, if you must, but you, you've got to do what it is you love to do. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, and I might also say it's, it's the hardest job there is. Um, people think, Oh, you sit down at the piano and you goof around and write a song and you know, the, it's hard work and, and, and it doesn't pay off 90% of the time. Um, and then the, the, there's the creative process and then there's a whole nother side of the business. That's why they call it the music business that you have to deal with. How do you get this gem that you've just created and demoed to a Kenny Rogers or to a Whitney Houston? Um, that's a whole nother realm of, of, of the game that uh, you have to be really good at. Did you find that you were naturally good at that or did you have to assemble uh, a team, so to speak, and find people who really believed in what you were doing who could then take the ball and run with it? I never had that team. I really didn't. Um, I, uh, I think that's uh, something innately that you're born with. You, you uh, part driven, part uh, manifest destiny. Um, which has always been a big component of my career, um, of, of my success. Um, you have to, you have to almost will things to happen, and you have to, uh, you can't wait for the phone to ring. You've got to be ultra proactive, and um, know when to pull back and know when to. 
push forward. Do you feel that you have made or had to make a lot of sacrifices to be that driven and to manifest your destiny? Yeah, yes. That's a good question. I'd have to think about it. I'm going to think about that one for a while. Okay. But, um, yeah, I've, I've sacrificed quite a bit. I would think, yeah. Well, and, and hopefully on an evening like the one in 2018, you, that, that those sacrifices, there's a reason why, and then there's a, a payoff for it. And, uh, you know, I had one last kind of related question, Steve, that I wanted to ask, and then we're going to play a little game and maybe show people just how hard it is to, to write something, especially on the fly. Or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but my question is, when you see, whether we talked earlier about the theme from Growing Pains, um, you also have had music that's been played in a plethora of movies. Again, folks, go to the website and see the movies and television shows that Steve's music's been in. It's amazing. Is there a different feeling that you get when there's a, a composition that you see on television or on the big screen as compared to when you hear it on the radio? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny you asked that. I, I was laying in bed the other night and I flipping around the channels and, uh, there was this old Columbo movie that I did the music watch. <laughs> and I've seen that movie a zillion times when I was doing the music for it. Cause I'd have to watch every scene and compose the music, the mystery thing, the killer, the, you know, uh, the cover up. And, but I watched the whole movie. And then at the end of the movie, it said music by Steve Dorff. And I went, man, that's cool. You know, well, you know, I did that probably, I don't know, 20 something years ago and never even thought about it. And here it is still, still on TV and, and, and growing pains is on and Murphy Brown's on. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the movies that I've done the music for. So it, it is a different feeling, but it's still great to hear a song come on the radio too, when you're in your car and, and all of a sudden, boom, one of your songs comes on the radio. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's always, that's the only applause a person like me gets because um, I'm not out playing in front of 15,000 people, you know. Um, the applause for me and the gratification for me is when is when someone's playing, performing it on the radio or on television. Or even in a local bar. I mean, the thing about your music is you have no idea how widespread this net is. Like I said, people are dancing to these songs at weddings, like through momentous occasions in their life. You have written a soundtrack for many people's lives. Yeah. And that's like, to me, that's incredible. It's such a legacy that you will leave that will live on and on and on. I, I have a funny story. I'll, I'll tell you real quick. I was at a, uh, I can't remember what the event was and, and it was a champagne cocktail kind of event and, um, it was some music business thing. And, and uh, I was standing talking, talking to a friend of mine. And this woman came over to me and she said, um, you wrote through the years, didn't you? I, I said, I, I did. And, you know, she said, I'm so-and-so. And I said, nice to meet you. She said, uh, she said, you have no idea what that song means to me. And I, I said, oh, well, thank you. That's very nice. No, you have no idea really. And she starts crying. 
And she says, my mother, it was her favorite song. She would sing it at the piano every night before she went to bed. And when she passed away, we have engraved the lyric on her tombstone. <laughs> so at this point, I'm thinking this is getting a little weird. And as this guy was passing by, hold, the waiter holding a bunch of champagnes, I grabbed two of them. I said, here, let's drink to your mom. And um, it was just kind of a side story when you were talking about um, what songs mean to different people at different times of their lives. It's not just my songs. It's, right. it's music, music transcends people's lives and, and where they were when they heard something and, and what they were doing when they heard something. So, yeah. And, and Steve, in that particular story, in that particular case, it's literally etched in stone. I mean, it doesn't get any more powerful than that. Wow. Well, we're going to, we're going to just do one little fun thing before we go. Um, I have this beautiful blue bag <laughs> and in it, are just a couple of little topics. And we wanted to test, we call this tapping the muse. We wanted to test your, your song writing uh, prowess here and see, cause you're in front of your piano now, right? You're in the control room of your studio and to see if you can just whip up a little ditty. Now, do you want one at a time or do you want me to pick a couple out and weave them in? And who wrote these? Who, who put them in the bag? Bill and I. <laughs> So you get co-writer credit on that. Ooh, okay. I'm, I'm, listen, this would be a, a dream of a lifetime. Are you yeah. kidding? <laughs> All right. Yeah, but this is going to be a tall task, I think, with these topics. Well, yeah, because these, they're, they're kind of silly, but, you know, whatever. All right, so let me know if you want me to pick more than one. The first one is a lazy boy chair. You want another one? Cold pizza. Oh, they kind of go together. Um, let's see. Behind the mask. Oh, wait, wait. What was the cold pizza one? Cold pizza. Just a cold pizza? Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm eating a cold pizza in a lazy boy chair. Don't know if I'll ever get to where I'm going there. Yeah, I'm eating a cold pizza in my lazy bed, in my lazy boy chair. Wondering if I'll ever see you there. Whatever. That's awesome. And I love your voice. So yeah, I think your literary agent had a minor in psychology and she was using that just to get you to write the book. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do <laughs> one more. <laughs> red, a red scarf. Red scarf? Red scarf. What's this? What's another one? With oh. the red... <laughs> behind the mask. And, and cold beer and behind the mask. He wasn't feeling the red scarf. <laughs> red scarf behind the mask. Getting her to take it off. It's quite a task. 
There you go. That's awesome. That was so much fun. Thank you. So hit much right there. Being a good sport. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, and Steve. What'd you say, Steve? I don't think you're going to make any royalties off. No, no, no. <clears throat> but before <clears throat> Steve, before Rosie closes us out, I, I just wanted to say something to you because I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And as someone who is, you know, a, a songwriter in a very, very small capacity, writing some things played locally years ago, to have the opportunity to talk with you, a true Hall of Famer in an area that I love since I was little. And I still have little things that I've written lyrics for, for for decades that I have in little folders somewhere. So to get this opportunity to meet you and get to hear those stories has really been quite an honor for me. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Thank you. This was, this was really fun and uh, enjoyed talking to you guys. And uh, um, no, it was fun. It's great. Well, Steve, thank you so much. And I'm sure all of our viewers have enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. And thank you for all the music you've brought to millions of people through the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.